my, I don't know about you, but my allergies just seem to kick in on these videos every single time. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same way with you. Uh, listen, we know that for some, Mother's Day is a delight, and for some, it's a struggle. Maybe you have struggled with infertility or miscarriages, or maybe you want to be an adoptive parent and aren't yet. You haven't received a placement, or maybe you are an adoptive parent or a foster parent. Maybe you're a single parent and just bearing the load all yourself. Can I just say, God sees you. God knows you. He knows your heart, and he loves you, and he's for you, and our church family is for you, and we, we want to support you as well. And so, church, if you agree with that, would you just now say amen? amen. Well, listen, uh, let me do something before we get started in the sermon that I did not do in the first service. So you got second service people, you get like a special treat, okay? Uh, I want to give you some upcoming things that are happening at Bethel Cedar Lake that I'm just really, really excited about. First of all, on Sunday, May 23rd, so two weeks from now, we are going to have prayer drive Cedar Lake. So we're going to meet here on Sunday night, 6.30, here in the parking lot. We'll pray together. Then we're going to go to specific strategic points around Cedar Lake, praying that God would bring down the walls and bring up the glory of Jesus. Amen? And then we're going to have ice cream. <laughs> so we're going to end at Dairy Bell and have ice cream together. Prayer and ice cream is a really good combo. And that, see, that should have got an amen right there. You can't amen prayer and ice cream. Oof. Um, that's a joke. So, uh, so come to that. It's going to be a great time as we prayer drive the community here. Uh, second, and this has not been announced, but four weeks from now, June 6th, we're going to have one service, one outdoor service, and it's not going to be here. It's going to be at Lemon Lake Park. And so we're going to just worship together outdoors. Hopefully the weather is good. And then we're going to have a barbecue afterwards. We're going to have picnic lunch together and have games and stuff. It's going to be a really fun time. So we'd encourage you, invite your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. Uh, it'll be a great time. So that's June 6th. So go ahead and put that in your calendar probably 1045, but details will be coming later for that. And then lastly, we have over the last couple months been putting together a missions team, an outreach team from Cedar Lake. And these folks are going to plan events and strategies and initiatives and local partnerships, basically ways to reach, our, reach out to our community with the love and truth of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus as a campus. This, this team is gonna plan the things that we all are going to be doing. And there are almost 30 people on this team. Isn't that awesome? And so, um, yeah, that can get more than one clap. <laughs> so uh, we're excited about what God's doing there and what he's going to do. And so be praying over that team that God would give us wisdom in knowing how to reach out to our community. Well, before we get into God's word, let me pray for us. Lord, we say this all the time at Bethel, and I'm so glad we do. It really is all about you. May our parenting be all about you. May our homes, our families, may our church and our community that desperately needs you. And Lord, there's so much brokenness and lostness in our world and we hand it over to you. We surrender it to you that you would do a mighty work in our world. Oh God, bring revival in your church. Bring spiritual awakening in our community and in our country and in our world. God, we want to see thousands, millions, billions trust in Jesus. You can do it, God. You're the God of impossibilities. And Lord, today on Mother's Day, we commit all families, parents, grandparents to you, entrusting them to you, that you would help us to raise our children in you. 
and to leave a legacy of faith. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last summer, I went with my family on a road trip. We drove all around Lake Superior. How many of you have seen Lake Superior? Anyone been there? Oh, man, it, it really is like the greatest of the Great Lakes in terms of size, depth. Even the color of the water is gorgeous. It's this beautiful blue. The shoreline is surrounded by waterfalls and creeks and hills and trees, just absolutely gorgeous. And so we're in Duluth, Minnesota, and we go to this old mansion that was converted into a museum from the late 1800s, early 1900s, this beautiful mansion, just grand, ornate, dozens of rooms, and I mean, the architecture was amazing, just breathtaking. You go inside, and the furniture is so ornate and beautiful, and then you go outside, and the groundskeeper, I mean, they had topiaries and gardens and flowers. It was breathtakingly beautiful, but you know what our favorite part of that day was? So this house is sitting on the shoreline of Lake Superior, and so our little girls were going to the back behind their property, and they just start picking up rocks, and they're like, ha! You know, we have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're just chucking them into the lake. And I'm like, well, that looks kind of fun. <laughs> and so I pick up rocks. We're just throwing rocks in the lake, and they're, you know, they, they, they throw as hard as they can. They might go eight feet, and there's bloop. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Watch Daddy. Oh, here we go. Here's superhero Daddy. And I pick up a big rock, and I'm getting ready to, like, Olympic shot put this thing. And I'm like... And it drops in the lake and just splashes this huge splash, and our girls are going, oh, losing their minds. That was awesome. And, and, and when you drop a rock into a lake, what happens? What's created? You guys cheated. <laughs> ripples. Waves are created. Now, I guarantee that the ripples created by the rock I threw didn't reach the other side of Lake Superior, probably. But if you drop a meteor or an asteroid in Lake Superior, oh, it's creating waves. It's creating tsunamis. It's going to reach every shore because the bigger the stone, the bigger the waves. And I don't know where you stand with Jesus, but if you love Jesus and follow him by faith, I'm willing to bet that you want to see significant Jesus waves in the lives of your children and their children, your great-grandchildren and future generations. It's the butterfly effect of discipleship. You know, the butterfly effect, it, it's said that we live in such a cause and effect world physically that such a chain of events that if a butterfly flaps its wings in the Western Hemisphere through a chain of events, it'll lead to, you know, a hurricane in the Eastern Hemisphere. I don't know if that's true or not. But the idea is true with discipleship, the butterfly effect of discipleship. The cause and effect chain of events that increase the magnitude of the outcome, the things that we do now, church, our words and our actions can and will ripple generationally. And that's the point this morning. If you look at the screen, parents can influence their children and potentially cause generational ripples. So the question is, how can we be the largest stone possible? to potentially make ripples for generations. Well, for one, we need to look to the ultimate stone, the chief cornerstone, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, because no one ever has and no one ever will make bigger ripples, spiritual tidal waves, than Jesus. He is the ripple-creating rock. So the goal today, like every Sunday, is not just to be informational, but transformational. 
is to encourage and challenge you from Scripture. So parents, grandparents, listen. What we are looking at in Scripture today is for you. The Bible is speaking to you, addressing you specifically. But all of us, whether you have kids or not, all of us are in this together. Even if you don't have kids, even if you're a kid yourself, you're still a part of this. Ensuring that we raise the next generation to love Jesus is on all of us because we all know parents who could use prayer and support and encouragement. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a church to raise a disciple. So we're all in on this, folks. And so we've been going through this Romans teaching series for the last literally three and a half years. We're landing that plane next week. But today we're taking a slight detour before we do that. And so we look back to Romans 16, 21. In Romans 16, Paul is giving greetings to the church in Rome, to the Roman Christians, on behalf of, you know, the boys he was with. And he's, he's saying, so, you know, Sisypater greets you, and uh, Jason greets you. And then he says in verse 21, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you. Well, who in the world was Timothy? Well, for that... Go to second, what book do you think I'm going to say? Timothy. Timothy. You guys are good. Second Timothy, chapter one. We're going to start in verse two. And actually, I'm going to ask that you stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Paul writes, actually, let me start in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, day, night, and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice as well, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You guys can have a seat. So in verse two, Paul is addressing Timothy and he says, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, Timothy was not his literal child. Paul wasn't married, didn't have kids, but Timothy had a special place in Paul's heart. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he calls him my true son in the faith. So more than a protege, more than a confidant, Timothy was the closest thing that Paul had to a son. Go to, go to the book of Philippians. There's just a few books before this. Philippians chapter 2, Paul basically says this. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy and his proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul is commending Timothy, saying, listen, everyone else cares about numero uno. Everyone else looks out for self. They don't place Jesus above self, but Timothy, oh, this guy is different. He loves Jesus with all his heart, all his mind, all his soul, all his strength, and he has been serving with me. He's like a son to me. And then we see back in 2 Timothy, look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve 
as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I, listen, remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul never stopped, never stopped praying for his spiritual son, Timothy. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Parents, listen to me. Never stop praying for your children. Never, never stop praying for your children. We have to believe in the power of prayer. Even if they have walked off the deep end, even if they have walked away from God, never stop praying for them. We are relying on God. We are trusting in God. God, we can't do anything, but we know by the power of prayer, you can because you are a powerful God. So take Paul's example and day and night, morning and evening, take them to the throne of grace, persevering in your prayers, enduring in your prayers, trusting God. You know their hearts. You know my heart. You hear us. And so we submit them to you in prayer. Never stop praying for your children. It's the greatest thing you could do for your kids or grandkids. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul says, as I remember your tears. Apparently, Paul was with Timothy when Timothy was just crying, weeping, grieving. You know, in Romans 12, 15, Paul says, weep with those who weep. I can imagine Paul sitting next to Timothy as he's just bawling and he puts his arm around him, brings him in tight. Timothy's weeping on his shoulder, and Paul's eyes start to well with tears as he starts to weep with him and grieve with him. We don't know why Timothy was grieving. Now, personally, I wonder if his dad passed away. His dad, who was a Greek, is mentioned in Acts 16 and not mentioned after that. We don't know, but God knew, and Paul knew, and Paul knew Timothy's heart. And Paul delighted in Timothy. In fact, he says, I long to see you. He longed to see him because he knew that doing so would just bring him so much joy. He couldn't wait to see him again. You know, when my wife and daughters go down to Tennessee to visit her parents, they'll be gone for like, I don't know, a week or so to visit her parents, which initially I'm like, all right, I get to batch it up. Bachelor time. And for the first hour, I love it. And then after an hour, I'm like, I miss my family. I get to watch whatever I want. And then it's like, oh, I want my kids again. I want my wife again. But they'll be driving back, and it's about a 10 or 11-hour drive. And my wife and I have our phones synced. So you go to the Google Maps app, and I'll be able to see her location. So she'll be able to track my location. We can see where each other are. And so they'll be driving back. And I'm literally, I'm checking the app like every hour. Like, where are they? Where? You know when your kids like kick the back of your seat? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm like, are they here yet? Are they here yet? Are they here yet? I just want them to be back so badly. And so I'll call my wife a few times while they're on this trip. And I'll be like, hey, so uh, I see that you stopped at Chick-fil-A for lunch in Louisville. And Sky responds the same way every time. Well, hello, stalker. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> but I'm a loving stalker. <laughs> because I miss my family. I miss my kids. I long to be with my children. I long to see my wife and daughters. And it breaks my heart when I hear parents talking about their, their son or their daughter as just this burden. I recently heard a dad, he was, he was telling me about his son. He goes, yeah, man, my son can be such a pain in my, I'm not going to finish that sentence. 
but it's so grievous. That breaks my heart. Like, really? That's your son. That's your daughter. They are not a burden. They are a gift from God. Treasure them. Know your kids. Know their hearts. Enjoy them. Delight in them. Rejoice with them. Weep with them. Be with them. The next point is basically this. Influence is a matter of time. Now, it's not just a matter of time, but influence is largely a matter of time. Your children are bombarded constantly with messages in our society, in our world, that challenge their values, that try to teach them priorities, and they are constantly influenced and continually discipled by our world. In fact, Google the term peer contagion, P-E-E-R. You know, we used to talk when I was growing up about peer pressure. You know, you, you remember the D.A.R.E. program? Anyone do the D.A.R.E. program? Uh, you know, an anti-drug program. They talked about peer pressure. Well, sociologists now talk about peer contagion. We live in the world of social media and heavy social influence. Peer contagion is social influence that affects behavior and spreads almost infectiously, like a disease. You'll, you'll see uh, some teens start self-harming, cutting themselves, and it spreads to their, their peers start doing it. I mean, examples include self-harm, bullying, depression, eating disorders, drug use, bisexuality, gender dysphoria, and even suicide. Studies have shown that when a few teenagers commit suicide, it, it, it's, it spreads and others do the same. It's peer contagion. Their peers are extremely influential. So parents, train your kids to choose good friends. And pray that God would bring good friends into their lives. It, that is so vital. But also, social media and entertainment are powerful influences on our children. See, all of this is a matter of time. It's an issue of time. Whatever holds their attention holds their hearts. So let me ask you this, and I'm not asking it to guilt you. I'm not asking it to shame you. We live by grace. But listen, how many hours a week are your children in front of a screen? Either their phone or tablet or TV. How many hours a week? Literally, think of a number in your mind. You can chat with your spouse right now if you want to come up with a number. How many hours a week? What about this? How many hours a week do you personally spend with your child? Now, I don't mean like in spiritual things, although that would be awesome, but just how many hours are you just with your child, your children? See, it's a numbers game. Are your children more discipled by their phone or by you? I'm going to tell you right now, our kids, our two daughters, could tell you every Marvel superhero in the MCU. Like, if you had flashcards, they'd be like, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Captain Marvel, Black Widow, boom, boom, boom. I mean, they, they, they know their Marvel characters because I'm kind of a comic book nerd. But anyway, they know their comic book characters. They, my daughter, my oldest daughter, could tell you every character in the show Star Wars Rebels, which is a phenomenal show. But anyway, I mean, they, they, they know Star Wars. They know Marvel. They know that well. But I wonder, could they... Name the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our oldest daughter goes to Awana, which is a phenomenal kids' ministry program where they learn God's Word. They learn to memorize and meditate on God's Word and delight in it. And my daughter does. She she's memorized the Scripture and she enjoys doing so. But I sometimes wonder, is Disney Plus making better disciples of my little girls than I am? See, it's, a, it's, it's about time. Influence is a matter of time. But also, discipling the next generation is cross-cultural ministry. And we have to look at it that way. 
I mean, what would you do if you were going overseas, halfway around the world, to minister, to serve among a people of a different language, in a different culture, with different values and norms, what would you do? Well, you would study, you would research, you would learn, you would absorb, you would listen well to them as you ask good questions, you would strive for empathy, strive for understanding, you would speak in their vernacular in a way that they would understand. Cross-cultural, cross-generational discipleship is cross-cultural ministry. So what should we do? Well, we should do our research. Learn well. Listen well to your kids. Strive for empathy. Strive for understanding. Speak in a way that they would understand. I am constantly learning about new slang terms among Generation Z. Don't Google that, by the way, unless you want to feel really old. <laughs> like I, was, I Googled Generation Z slang terms. I'm like, I haven't heard of three-fourths of these. I got my hair cut this week, and the lady who was doing my hair was talking to another hairdresser, and she goes, oh, that one guy who was in here earlier, he is so sus. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Come again? What, what does that mean? And she goes, oh, it means suspicious. That one's on the house, folks. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> if your kids say, oh, that guy, that gal is sus, now you know it means suspicious. I mean, uh, terms like lit. It doesn't mean someone's lit on fire, it means cool. Or HMU, anyone know what HMU is? Hit me up, hit me up, text me, call me later. I mean, all these, that's a different language. So learn their language, seek to be on their level and relate to them, but do not seek to be more relevant than loving. Being relevant to meet them at their level is not the goal of parenting, loving discipleship is. I think of our our youth minister here who's been here for literally decades, Bill Hilligans. He's not here today. He's actually visiting his family in Indy, but can we give it up for Bill? I mean, he's literally been doing this for 20 or 30 years. I don't know how old he is. I'm not going to ask him. Pretty sure he's older than me, but I promise this, he is definitely cooler than me. I mean, he is lit. He, he, uh, he knows all the, yeah, see, I can't even use that correctly. I feel really old now, really out of touch. But he knows all the pop culture references, and he, he meets these kids where they are, the teens on their level, and he can speak with, you know, with them, and he knows their heart, knows their issues. But more than that, he just loves them. He speaks the language of love, and they love him. He loves them because love never goes out of style. Paul loved Timothy. And the universal truth of cross-cultural ministry is that love covers a multitude of gaffes. And oh, parents, you probably know there will be gaffes. You're going to make mistakes. There's going to be awkwardness. You're going to say the wrong thing. Your, your teen might roll their eyes and say, oh, okay, boomer. That's okay. Like water off a duck's back. Just let it, let it ride. Love them anyway. Love them through it all. Because love is the ubiquitous language that transcends all cultures. Now look at verse 5. Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and now in your mother Eunice as well, and I'm sure dwells in you as well. This is the key verse. See, it never mentions his father, but we do know that his mother and grandmother were Jewish believers in Jesus. So truly the saying is true, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's the ripple effect. Faith passed down. Or you could say it this way, stop the cycle, start the circle. That's your next point. Stop the cycle, 
Start the circle. And what I mean by that is this. You know, I'm reading right now through the Old Testament books, First and Second Kings, which is kind of, uh, it gives the annals of the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, and there were just some bad guys. And I don't mean bad in like good, I mean bad as in bad, bad. Evil, wicked kings, and their sons would be worse than they were, and their sons would be even worse. And there was just this progression of worse subsequent generations with each one. In fact, in first, sorry, second Kings 21, we see King Manasseh, the most wicked king in the history of Judah, he turned the hearts of the people toward idolatry. He went hard after worshiping other gods. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. He practiced witchcraft. He shed innocent blood. He even sacrificed one of his own sons by allowing him to be burnt to death as an act of worship to the false god Moloch. Not a great guy. But then his son, Josiah, ascends to the throne as king. And in 2 Kings 22, it says, he, Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David, King David. His faith altered history. He chose a different path. He took a different route. And instead of following the, the idolatry of his father, he followed the example of King David, this stalwart of saving faith from generations prior. Listen, parents, grandparents, you can be that guy you can be that gal that future generations look back at. Now, I am so blessed to have two godly Christian parents. But today's Mother's Day, so I'm going to brag on my mom a little bit. And, well, let me just say this. Not a lot of people listen to my recorded sermon later in the week, but my parents are one of the few that always do. And so, Mom, if you are listening right now, this is to encourage you. This is for you. My mom is one of the strongest women of faith that I know. I mean, I'm not joking. My mom's faith in Jesus is legacy creating. I believe that. In fact, I strongly believe that my kids are going to tell their kids about the faith in Jesus that Nama had. That's what they called their grandma, Nama. Oh, Nama struggled with MS, but she never stopped loving Jesus. Nama wrestled with pain constantly, but she never stopped loving Jesus. Nama was confined to a wheelchair. She had no use of her arms or legs. She was basically paralyzed from the neck down, but she never stopped loving Jesus. She got into the word every day. She prayed every day. She would share Christ with whoever would listen, with her caregivers or anyone around her, because she never stopped loving Jesus. And the ripple grows. See, church, faith in Jesus leaves legacies. And legacies last much longer than you do, than we do. Why is that? Well, because the heart of the issue is the issue of the, finish the sentence, heart. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. People will always do what they value, always. And so we stop the cycle and start the circle. Here's what I mean by that. What in your life would you circle as having highest value, top priority? What would you circle in your life? Timothy would circle Jesus. Because Timothy passionately loved Jesus, he saw that sincere faith lived out in his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And when our children and grandchildren look at our lives, will they exclaim that Jesus is our all in all? 
Which leads to the next point, live out your lecture. Live out your lecture. Yeah, you don't get it, Pastor. My, my kids just don't get it. They don't listen to me. I lecture them and I lecture them and they just persist in doing whatever they want, whenever they want. They live for themselves. They could care less about the things of God. Okay. Do you? Do you care about the things of God? How are you modeling the preeminence of Christ in your life? Preeminence meaning Jesus has first place in your heart, first place in your life. Is it evident with how you live and how you talk, how you act and how you react that it is all about him, Jesus? It's the power of modeling. I believe God designed children that way, that, that children will see their parents. They will watch their parents or whoever is their guardian. They will watch their their. their caregivers, their caretakers, their parents, grandparents, whoever, and they will emulate what they see, whether good or bad, for better or for worse. They're going to they're gonna mimic your lifestyle. And I have seen this in our, in our home. You know, I remember a couple months ago, I didn't even know my girls were listening. I think I was talking to my wife's guy, and I said something like, well, that's dumb. And then Penelope, our youngest, picked up on that. And later that night, we're putting her to bed, and she says something, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but she goes, well, that's dumb. You know, with her cute little three-year-old voice. And it just didn't sound right coming from her. It didn't sound natural. And I went, oh, sweetie, you probably shouldn't say that. Well, yeah, but you said it. Okay, well, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, which never works, by the way. In fact, I was thinking like, oh, man, what if she goes to church and she's in Sunday school and her Sunday school teacher talks to her and she's like, well, that's dumb. What did you just say to me? Where'd you learn that? My daddy, who's a pastor. <laughs> I'm not a perfect parent, folks. None of us are, and, and that's the point. Kids are gonna emulate what they see, good or bad. Timothy saw sincere faith in his mother and his grandmother. It dwelt in his grandma first and was passed down to his mother, and then to him, it was tangible. So what do you think happens when your kid comes down the stairs and they see you on your knees crying out to the Lord in prayer? What do you think happens when your kid sees you at the breakfast table with a cup of coffee and your Bible open and your pen in hand as you are just digging into the word of God? What do you think goes on in their mind and their heart when they see that? Listen, not to be harsh, but quit complaining about your kids and start living for Jesus. Don't just say it's all about him. Don't just say it. Live it. If you want your kids to treasure Jesus, you want your children to treasure Jesus, there is no shortcut. You must treasure Jesus. So let me ask you this. How many of you have ever seen the Northern Lights in person? Anyone ever seen the Northern Lights? Okay, a few. That's awesome. I never have. It is on my bucket list. It's like top five. I would love to go to Iceland and see the Northern Lights in the winter. Never seen the Northern Lights. But I'll tell you what I have seen, and I'm going to share with you in a very vulnerable way, kind of a guilty pleasure, don't hold this against me, but some nights, not every night, some nights I'll go on YouTube and I will watch an episode of Bob Ross. I'm guessing by the lack of laughter, you don't know who Bob Ross was. Bob Ross was this skinny white dude with a big old afro who had this show on PBS called The Joy of Painting. In a 30-minute show, he would paint, like, start from nothing, and then you'd be like, oh, how do you do that? And he had this soothing, soft little voice. We're just going to paint a little bird right here. I'm going to paint a little happy tree. There are no mistakes, just happy accidents. 
This is your world. You're just all living in it. This is, you can do whatever you want here. I don't know why I watched that. I, I think his, his voice is so soothing. It's better than like melanonin, melatonin. I'm just like, ah, oh, it just puts me to bed. Thank you. God bless you, Bob Ross. Where was I going with all this? Oh, so <laughs> one episode, he is painting the northern lights. He's painting the aurora borealis. And he gets done, and I'm just like, ah, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so magnificent. And it wasn't even the real thing. It was just a facsimile. It was just a painting. I can't imagine the real thing. Because do you have to convince someone that the northern lights are beautiful? No. What do you do? You simply show them. You point to the northern lights and you watch them stand in awe. Folks, regularly point your kids, your grandkids, to the wonder of Jesus. Show them the beauty of Jesus. Help them see him as amazing because he is. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, parents, grandparents, what are we doing to communicate the supreme value of Jesus? How are we helping others to see, how are we helping our kids and grandkids to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? And if you don't have kids, how are you supporting parents in this all-important endeavor? We need to point to Jesus. It is all about him. Which leads to verse 6. Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, for this reason. For what reason, Paul? Well, Paul is saying, because, Timothy, you follow a line of strong faith in your family, because you have these amazing women of significant godliness in Christ, know who you are and know whose you are. And let me just say this, church, you are not given a spirit of fear. That is not who you are. Instead, because of whose you are, because you belong to God, because you belong to Jesus by faith, if you trust in Jesus, he has given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. Claim your identity in Christ. Help your kids, your grandkids, if they trust in Jesus, point them to Jesus and then help them claim their identity in Christ because the world is trying to lavish them with other identities and identity is a powerful motivator. Parents, our world is screaming at our kids and telling them who they are and it is by and large a false identity. Will you be you? Be whoever you feel you are. And at first glance, that sounds nice. That sounds affirming, but it ultimately leads, I promise you, to false hope and much hurt, much despair, much destruction, because it is seeking to place identity in self. And logically speaking, self cannot identify self. Self cannot define self, otherwise it's self-defeating, pun intended. You have to find something outside of yourself to define yourself, something outside of yourself to give you identity. The problem is that our sinful hearts are deceitful and wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9, we cannot trust the way we feel to determine who we are. Our emotions are shifting sands, tenuous at best, fickle at least, not exactly a rock-solid foundation upon which to build their identity or our identity. So what is a good foundation for instilling identity in our children? Well, 
It's the Sunday school answer, which is Jesus. Jesus through the gospel. That's why proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the gospel to your kids constantly is vital. That's why preaching the gospel to yourself constantly is vital. Teach them to root their identity in Jesus. Now you may be thinking with all of this, especially moms, let me talk to you for a second, moms. You may be thinking, I can, I, I can never do all this. I mean, I see other moms and in their Instagram posts and they just look so perfect. They have it all together. Their family looks great. Their home looks great. They look so happy and have it all together. How can I leave a faith legacy when I struggle with parenting? I'll never be a perfect parent. Listen to me. Trying to be a perfect parent will crush you if you do not embrace grace. So embrace grace. It is, grace is the essential ingredient to gospel parenting. We all fail at parenting early and often. So we have to parent by the grace of God. Show grace to your kids as you point them to Jesus with your words and actions, but also show grace to yourself. Mom guilt is a thing. It's a real thing, especially with social media. And so you'll look and see the Instagram and everyone, listen, Here's a little trade secret. Everyone always puts their best face forward on Instagram. Always. That's not who they really are. Nobody has it all together, no matter how many filters on Instagram they go through. So be grateful that you do not have to be and cannot be perfect parents. Instead, point them to the perfect father because he will never let us down. Let me read a poem to you by a guy named Edgar Guest. He was, a, he was known as the people's poet in, in the States in the early 1900s, British-American poet. And he wrote this poem called The Sermons We See. And I love this. Listen to this. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon, soon, soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind just to see if I can help him and the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold this honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I've heard it say this way, it is easier to to, it is harder to live one sermon than it is to preach 10. And man, that is so true. Now listen, I am very pro-sermon. I'm very pro-preaching, pro-doctrine. In fact, preaching is my favorite thing to do in ministry. And I believe the proclamation of truth from God's word is transformational. But what if I preach 
and don't live it out. Church, what would that be called? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Parents, what good is it if you lecture your kids without living it? Children pick up on hypocrisy like dogs sniff out fear. I mean, they are going to sniff it out. They want genuineness. They want vulnerability. They want transparency. So be real. Be genuine. Be honest. You want your kids to value Jesus? Then value Jesus. Show them what it looks like. Oh, we can talk the talk, but oh, parents, grandparents, listen to me. For the sake of the next generation and for all future generations, we had better walk the walk. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, but what about wayward children? I have adult children who have walked away from the church, walked away from faith, walked away from Jesus, from the Lord. What about them? What about me? Listen, can I encourage you? You can do everything right. You can point them to Jesus, and yet they still might not trust in Christ. You can guide them, but their faith or lack thereof is ultimately on them. Your responsibility is to pray. Pray and point. Pray for them. Point them to Jesus. Persevere in prayer for your children. Endure in prayer for your children. Pray night and day, morning and evening. Pray for them. And pray that God does something in their hearts and in their minds. So we're going to pray together now. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to have just a couple minutes of silent prayer. And I'm going to call out things that I want us to pray. And so... As I say these, just, just a voice of prayer silently. So right now, pray for your kids or grandkids if you have them. And if you don't, pray for the children of others you know. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their spiritual growth. Church, now pray for future generations to take the torch of faith, the baton of faith in Jesus, and to run far and wide. pray for children who have walked away. Maybe your, maybe your kids, your adult children have walked, maybe, maybe that's you. Listen, God knows their hearts. God knows your hearts. Give him your burdens, parents. Give him your burdens, grandparents. Surrender your children, surrender your grandchildren in faith to the perfect father.